podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carol Matchett. How are you, sir? Swimming in FA Cup-related positivity. Yes, and that is where we're going to start today, because today's podcast is ostensibly about Leicester City and our game against them on Thursday. But I do want to get your thoughts on Liverpool 3, Cardiff City 1 at the weekend. The result is obviously important, and it's great that we're going to have an extended cup run and with Norwich in the next round, you'd expect that we should advance to the last eight. But, Carl, I think this game means more than that in terms of Thiago getting back, getting minutes, Harvey Elliott coming back, scoring a goal, Diaz making an impression on his debut, and just the players in general, after two weeks off, getting back in something of a rhythm. I thought in the second half we looked a lot better. The first half was pretty poor. But in the second half we seemed to find a bit of a groove and I think that's promising ahead of midweek games. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we spoke about this Cardiff game very briefly uh, during the international break, and we both mentioned that we'd like to see, or we expected to see, a bit of a stronger team, because after we've had a week or two weeks off, we do tend to look a bit sluggish. We don't really fire on all cylinders until we're back in that rhythm. We're playing every three, four days, and we can't really afford to drop points and, and be slow about our play in Premier League terms. So I think it was a really good call to put a very strong side out for the FA Cup and use that as the warm-up, basically. I'd be reasonably confident that a few players had a bit of a, not a telling off, but certainly a, a vigorous encouragement, let's say, at half-time about playing at a much greater tempo about a lot more movement off the ball and just generally being better because they were. And like you said, it was pretty much all positives in terms of the personnel used. Uh, Harvey Elliott obviously coming back from a long, long layoff was the biggest one, capped by mm. his first goal for the club. But I think everything about that lineup and the way the subs were used were, were pretty clever from Klopp. It was exactly as expected, really, with mostly the first teamers, uh, a handful of people who were involved pre international break like Curtis Jones still getting the start and even those who came off the bench still got a really good significant chunk of time I think like uh, Andy Robbo and that coming on for 20-30 minutes Thiago just getting 15 or so as a, a first run out but overall really nice to see a good what was it just about just over half an hour I think that Elliot and uh, Diaz got as they came on as the first double sub so it's like quite a nice introduction uh, in terms of game time and involvement and getting a little bit of a feel of things a bit earlier than we usually make subs. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I I was surprised to see Diaz in particular come on so early. I, I thought Harvey might get half an hour because he has been training for a couple of weeks now. And Klopp obviously has been talking him up. He did really well in the friendly behind closed doors. So I, I felt like he might get half an hour. But I have to say I was only expecting Diaz to get... 10, 15 minutes. So I was pleasantly surprised with not just how much time he got, but how quickly he seemed to settle into a rhythm and obviously gets his first goal involvement. Now, I think they're trying to steal the assist off him and credit it to Diogo Jota, who, well, let's be clear, he miskicked the ball. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> he had it. no intention of passing it to Taki. The least assisty assist ever. Yeah, exactly. But... Jota looked lively, his movement was excellent, and Carl, I don't, I don't know what to make of this guy. For someone, his height and his build, who's not a freak athlete, to be that good in the air. Like, is about the same height as him, but he's got incredible spring, and he's physically quite imposing. Carl Heinz Riedler was about 5'10", 5'11", but he had incredible spring. Jota doesn't have incredible spring, but his movement and his intelligence to find a bit of space, 
And what he is really good at is just that little nudge on a defender before he makes his move so that as he moves, they're not coming with him. The guy is sensational in the air. Technically as well, he seems to get you know the right part of the head to the right part of the ball with the right timing so, so often. He's really, really good at it. Even the ones that sort of just go past the far post and you think, oh, you expect him to score that. It's still a really good connection. Obviously, you, you just can't score every single time. But uh, I, I think that as much as the movement that he's got is really, really good. Him and Sadio Mane, I see a lot of similarities in them in, in that particular area uh, where they're able to get between two defenders or they make that little run across the six-yard box and get themselves just two yards and that's all they need. Most of the time, like you say, it's not about big spring. It's not even that he leaves the ground a lot of the time. He sort of plants one foot and steps up a little bit, but it is about that technique. The actual contact of the ball that he makes is so on point. He's so, so good at that. And uh, like I said before on the uh, pod where we spoke about Diaz, I think within time people start to see that that's exactly the same from him as well. He's really, really good at heading, not even jumping necessarily, just getting himself in the right place and a really good contact on the ball. We have a couple of questions that I want to do before we get into talking about Leicester. And one of them, I think, comes directly from Sunday's game. It's about Bobby Firmino. It's from Shamik. So he said, so, so there's a Simon Brundish tweet which says, whilst we all know deep down that the best number six on the planet actually plays with a nine on his back, so obviously referring to Bobby's defensive work. But Shamik's question is, as the forward line gets more crowded and with Bobby's production lower than the others, might it make more sense for him to move into an attack-minded eight role when we don't have enough midfielders available, maybe even long-term? He's got the pressing and creative instincts. Now, what I find interesting about this, Carlos, in the first half, I thought he was very clearly playing almost as the tip of a diamond with Taki and Jota playing quite narrow as a front two. And then in the second half, when the changes got made and Curtis and Naby went off, for Harvey and Diaz. Diaz went left wing. Jota went through the middle. And then Bobby dropped into that left-sided eight role. And it was almost tacky sort of hooking back in as a 10 with Diaz joining Jota. And I thought it was really interesting how Klopp used Bobby in this game. And I wonder if maybe he's looking at Bobby as almost like a bit of a Milner, but for the attacking positions, where... He he's obviously not going to be a starter anymore. He hasn't been a starter this season with Diaz and potentially Carvalho arriving in the summer. That's going to limit Bobby's opportunities in the front three. But he'll still get games. And can he, do you think, get more games in midfield, either as an eight or if Jurgen decides to play a diamond in some games? Well, he definitely does play as the tip of the diamond quite often. I think that's just... You know, it's something that we do. It's not necessarily something you need to see on paper, but rather a part of our build-up play and the patterns and where everybody has to be. That's just how we fall into shape. Uh, in terms of Firmino in the midfield, I've often seen him more as an eight. I wouldn't honestly say that I choose to play him as a six. Um, obviously, this other people will have different things in mind. Simon says a six there. I, I would definitely. I see think him Simon as an eight. is just being a bit facetious there with ah, that okay, statement. Fine, but... fine. More to the point of just that he does so much defensive work. Yeah. Similar to how people used to say Ian Rush is Liverpool's best defender because he would do so much defensive work up front. Well, the first thing I would say about um, Firmino and, you know, we talk about his his, his goal rates dropping off and all the rest of it. Um, that hasn't happened this season. That's the first important thing to note. Uh, he's, he's been much better, let's say, in the first half of the season before he got his injury. Up until he returned, he was actually... Uh, well, I would say third technically, but he was our second best forward in terms of goal uh, minutes on the pitch per goal. Uh, Jota has just overtaken him recently because Firmino has come back, played a couple of 90 minutes and not scored, obviously. Um, but it was Salah and then it was Firmino. He, he was ridiculously good, ridiculously clinical earlier on in the season because he was getting much closer to goal. He was having shots in and around the penalty spot in the six-yard box again. I think the first... Six or six of the first seven, something like that, were from inside the six-yard box that he scored. So, yes, if there's a drop-off, you can see that he might be one of the ones to come out. But that wasn't the case. We've got to remember that. That was not the case earlier on this season. Uh, he came out of the team for the simple reason that he got injured and he wasn't available. And Jota came in and started banging him in again as well. So I, I think it's a really, really good thing that we have this 
competition for places again. Um, we have the ability to, let's say, we saw Jota out on the left-hand side. We know we've got Diaz just come in, but let's not forget that that's where Jota played before we signed him. That was his main role, playing as a left yeah. side of a front three option. So we could see Firmino playing as an eight or as a ten and a diamond. We could see any combination of the players we already had here playing up front. We know Sadio's played as a nine for us. He's played on both sides for us. Mo has played from the right and as a nine for us. So there's so much scope to change things around there. Let's not forget the the Man City 4-4-2 or 4-2-4, yeah. however you want to see it, of last season as well, where there's even more scope to play that now because of the ludicrous pace that we've just added in January. And I, I think that right now it's very, very easy to be very optimistic about Liverpool's squad because we've just got like about a net of six players back in the space of two, three weeks. And the, suddenly the squad looks a lot more full, a lot more capable of challenging on multiple fronts, a lot more capable of breaking down all different kinds of teams, lots of rotation and competition for places and all the rest of it. How long that last, we'll have to see because you know, we, we saw just before Christmas, it turned around from very, very stacked in midfield to suddenly we have two and a half players fit. So hopefully this now lasts until the end of the season, because if it does, I honestly think that there's no reason why Liverpool shouldn't place the FA Cup as a trophy we want to win. Obviously, we're already in the final of the League Cup and we will do everything we can, but that's a one-off game. You either will or you will not, and that's it. The FA Cup, I see no reason to think we shouldn't be going all out to try and win that as well, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, look, I'd gladly take a, a domestic cup double this year, and if if we end up finishing second, as long as we give City a good run over the second half of the season, the Champions League is is it's so difficult to win. You know, that's just the be-all and end-all. You, you, I think personally we're better set up to win the Champions League than the Premier League. I said that before the season. But, you know, if we don't win the Champions League, it's not a massive failure because it's so tough to win. But if we ended up the se- finishing this season with second in the league, Champions League semi-finalists and a, cup, a domestic cup double, that's a hell of a season. That's a very successful season. And you look at the team that played at the weekend, Kelleher in goal, he's really developing into an excellent number two for us. Trent, Kanate, Virgil and Costas, all very good players. Uh, Naby, Henderson, Jones, Taki, Bobby, Jota. From the bench, we had Thiago. Milner, who I think is about the only negative at this point because it, the guy just can't run anymore. Adrian, he was only there because of a lack of bodies. Diaz, Robbo, Joel, Cade Gordon, Harvey and Tyler. I mean, other than Milner and Diaz, Milner and, and Adrian, you'd want, you're happy with any of those and any of the 11 on the pitch. And that doesn't include Joe and Ox, who I think are both out with COVID. And then the two Brazilian boys who were away, Fab and Allison, came back too late to be involved, plus Sadio and Mo. Like, that was a strong team and a strong squad on Sunday. And there's six guys to go back into that team. Of that six, three, if not four, are undeniably world-class. Mo, Ali, and Fab. And then Mane was world-class without question has shown signs of getting back to his best level this season, but I think is still just a little level below, but he's still a great player. And then Joe and Ox are as good a squad player. Like, you're not going to find a better fourth centre-back in England than Joe Gomez. You're not going to find a better sixth or seventh midfielder in England than Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who can also be, you know, our, what would he be, our ninth forward, our eighth forward, whatever it is. You know, if you consider the big five now with, with Salah, Mane, Bobby, Jota and Diaz, plus Cade, plus Taki, plus Divock, and then Ox. Like, we are looking very good now in terms of depth, options. I've said the only thing I think we're missing is that more defensive-minded six to, or sorry, eight who comes in when Thiago's not there to partner uh, Fab and maybe plays instead of Fab when Fab's unavailable. But the squad is looking very, very good. And we've got a question there from Nigel about Fabio Carvalho, what's happening with him. It does look like that deal is going to get done for the summer. So he's another one to add to that. Now, admittedly, some could leave, but that's very, very strong. Yeah, so you would expect now, by between now and the end of the season or the next couple of months, you'll see a core group of 14, 15 players start to be involved almost every single game without fail. Uh, most managers, they won't want to rotate just for the sake of it. It will be a case of if you're going for the major honours, if you're trying to win the biggest competitions, 
whoever's playing well and whoever's making the team win relentlessly every three, four days, they're going to be in the side. We'll get to that point again where Robertson is playing probably eight of nine games in a row and Costas only plays that other one. And it's not going to be a case of Costas isn't very good or playing well or anything like that. It's just that that's the team. And when you go into win, it isn't all about the rotation. It isn't so much about the depth. You've still got to have it. Substitutions in games can be important, of course, but you would expect that once we get to that point, if we're still in the running for everything, it is going to be about, said maybe 15 players or so who are starting on a, on a semi-regular basis, fitness permitting, and then thoughts inevitably do start to turn to, well, who goes in the summer? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think we're going to see potentially one or two surprising people get left out of that rotation, that kind of end-of-season rotation when Klopp really nails down who he's going to trust in, in certain games. We're a little bit fortunate, I suppose, to have Norwich in the next round of the Cup at home. You would expect that Jurgen could play a similar enough team to what played uh, against Cardiff, and and we would you know expect to beat Norwich. So that'll get Allison arrest, Robbo arrest, Matip arrest, um, Fabinho maybe arrest, things like that, and maybe Mo and Mo and you know Jota might not play. We could see Sadio on the right, Bobby through the middle, and Diaz on the left, and. You know, we know Sadio's great on the right because he was there in, our, in his first season with us. Uh, Diaz already looking the business, and, and obviously Bobby, like you said, Bobby's having a good season. And I think the, one of the key things for Bobby's form this season as well, though, has been coming off the bench because if you're a defender and you've just spent 65 minutes trying to chase Salah, Jota, and Mane around. And next thing you look across and Klopp is bringing on Diaz, who's lightning, and Firmino, who's just a ball of energy, that's really going to make your heart sink. And that's where Bobby can really start to capitalise on tired defenders. It's a bit like the old Milner thing, where Milner would come on on 75. And even though he'd be really slow, everyone else would have slowed down because they'd have played the previous 75 so he'd come on and immediately be able to go into the flow of the game, whereas I think Bobby will be able to come on and lift the flow of the game and actually lift the tempo again late in games for us, and I think that'll be huge. Now, we need to talk about Leicester. Uh, Leicester went out of the FA Cup at the weekend in quite embarrassing fashion, beaten 4-1 by Nottingham Forest, and it was a comprehensive 4-1 as well. Nottingham Forest weren't even particularly brilliant, but they comfortably beat quite a strong Leicester team to end Leicester's involvement in the competition. They obviously went out of the League Cup to our you know, under-14 team. They're 10th in the league. They went out of the Europa League in the group stage despite a fairly favourable group and have been dumped into the Conference League. They've lost more games than they've won in the Premier League. And all things considered, it's been a disaster of a season when you consider that in the summer... They went pretty big in terms of spending. They brought in Adam Ola Luckman on loan. He has sizable enough wages and they paid a loan fee. They brought in Ryan Bertrand on a free. You'd imagine the wages there were fairly sizable. And then they spent 15 million on Vestigard, 25 on Sumare, and I think 25 to 30 on DACA add-ons on both the Sumare and DACA deals. For a club of Leicester's size, that's a big outlay without a big sale. Normally they would sell a big player. It's been Chilwell, it's been Maguire, it's been um, Mares, it's been Drinkwater, it's been Kante over the previous five years. This year they really backed Brendan Rodgers, went all in on trying to get top four. You look at the squad, there's talent everywhere. It's an exceptionally good squad, but it's been a disastrous season for them. And um, what do you make of them so far? Uh, a very disappointing season, to be honest. I think I think that they expected probably to push top five again at least. Um, not just the signings that they made, but because it is a bit of a, a process of consistency and building that they have. It's that kind of culture that they've tried to create at the club, whereby they're not going to you know, go hell for leather and try to do things in in uh, two seasons or anything like that. But once they're there, once they're in a position, they do try to add quite sensibly. And there was a lot of 
excitement, I think, around them signing people like Pats and Daka. I think certainly by Leicester supporters that I spoke to, it was more about Daka than it was about uh, a couple of the midfielders or anything like that. Obviously, we spoke about them just before the new year, I think it was, when Liverpool played them a couple of times. And we did say, we pointed out that they'd had horrible, horrible injury issues all season long, and especially in defence. And that undoubtedly had a big impact on what they were able to do uh, from a defensive perspective as much as anything else. But it's not so much of an excuse anymore. It's not quite as much of a, a feature anymore when they have chopped and changed as much as they have done. And it, it, it increasingly looks like if they don't have Johnny Evans, they don't have any organization at all, which makes you wonder yeah. what's going on week to week, day to day on the training ground, which you know multiple players should be involved in. Yes, OK, you can always have one player who raises it a little bit and he's got the extra organization, but not to the extent of you know the number of goals that they've conceded, let alone anything else. Uh, the, the last clean sheet was actually against us when we were just terrible against them in the league. And other mm. than that, other than that game where they didn't concede to Liverpool for whatever reason, they kept a clean sheet against Newcastle, who are still rubbish in December. And their last one before that, League Cup in September. Yeah. That's shocking. Like that's like almost relegation kind of defensive work. Yeah, it's been it's been very very poor, and it's an area that they've spent a significant amount of money on over the years. Now, Fafana has missed all season. There's there's just no way you can account for that. You know, they 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 were planning on him being a big big part of their defense this year after such an impressive uh, season last year. Um, I think they were hoping that Ricardo Pereira would overcome the injury issues that he had last season. He's only played, I think, what's he played? Thir- 13 games in all competitions. I think they've played like 30 overall. Um, so he's missed He's missed half the season. Castanier's been available for a lot of the games, though. He's been available for 16 of the 20 Premier League games. Kagler Seonchu has played 18 of the Premier League games. And it has to be said, I don't remember a Premier League centre-back of his age, who he's 25, declining as badly as he has over the last two years. Like, it has been genuinely shocking to watch what the fall-off from Cagliari-Sionchu. I, I have to say, and I spoke about this quite a bit at the time and wrote about it as well, I, I was never impressed with Sionchu at all. I think he was massively, massively overstated what his impact on the team was. He had a couple of games against like United where he won loads of headers and did loads of the clearances and had one of those games where he stood out because he did a lot of the defensive actions, basically. But his positional work, his turning circle, he has always, always looked like an Arctic freight lorry. Uh, he's, I am not impressed with him in the slightest. I know he had like a bit where he was ridiculously praised and linked with like 80 million moves to United and all this kind of stuff. As far as I'm concerned, he's never been there at all. And a little bit covered for when they were playing a three. But again, if he got pulled out into the channel, I found him really, really exposed. Maybe you can put part of that down to having someone like Luke Thomas, who at the time he was just breaking through. So, you know, maybe getting caught out of position a bit inexperienced positionally. But basically, I just don't think he's been that good at all. Uh, I think he was very, very overhyped compared to what he'd actually done. And I don't see that this form now, although he's like playing terribly, I just... I don't see it as a surprise, to be perfectly honest, Um, especially when, again, you consider that he has had his partner chopped and changed. He's then had to be the leader, which he absolutely is not. He's not the one who's directing play. He's not the one who's directing his uh, teammates' positional work. He's not the type of player who can just play out of defence and be ridiculously confident or a a build-up kind of playmaker from the back. And Castagna is the other one. I think he's been shocking this year. Really, really poor. Uh, He was good, I would say, without being great. Uh, in his last year with Atalanta and then his first year with Leicester. This year, I think he has mostly been shocking. Mm. I, I wouldn't be a fan of Castanier. I always thought he was, you know, he's fine if he's your, your third fullback because he can play both sides. And you know, He's the one you want to cover, isn't he? Yeah, that's exactly it. But he's a much better wingback than he is fullback, especially when he plays on the left. Uh, I, I, we disagree on, on Sancho. I, I think two years ago, he was absolutely outstanding for them. I thought, he did most of the defensive work. Evans was really important, obviously, as an organizer and a talker. But I, I did think when you know Seonchu was playing left side centre back with Chilwell at left back, 
I thought it was a step up on what they'd had the year before with Maguire, but he has fallen off. And like you said, look, Evans is clearly the the organizer of that defense, but he's no longer reliable. And surely at some point coaching has to come into play and you have to be able to coach a defense even when the talker is not there. Someone else has to step up. Now, last season at times, James Justin was the talker in that defense from fullback and he would call the line and things like that. And it worked. It worked really well. When they were good last season, it worked really well, uh, even when Evans was in and out of the team. But Justin's obviously missed all by the last three games, I think. Um, he's a big get to get back. And, you know, you can, you can put a defense on paper for them, you know, a five-man unit even of um, Pereira as the right wing back, Justin on the left, Fafana, Evans and Sionchu as a back three, but they haven't had that at all that season. That this this season rather. That may be what Brendan would like as his first choice defence, but it hasn't been available to him. But I, I still don't think it excuses the form. I still think the players that are there are good enough to make up for it. Wilf and Didi is a decent centre back. Brendan Rogers is the one who decided to spend fifteen million plus on Yannick Vestergaard, who's been available most of the season, and Rogers wouldn't play him because he realised quite quickly he's not very good. But Rodgers was the one who forced that deal through. They've played Daniel Amarty in half the games. He's awful. He's not a Premier League defender at all. He's actually more of a midfield player by nature anyway. But he's certainly not a Premier League centre-back. But all things considered, you know, they had they had Benkovic there as well, and Rodgers refused to use him for whatever reason. And then they terminate his contract with 18 months left. And then the next day he signs for Udinese. So clearly there are clubs out there who rated him if he had a deal to sign the very next day. And yet Rogers just binned him off because whatever reason, he didn't fancy him. Maybe he didn't want to coach him. Maybe he didn't want to work and put in the effort. But this is a this is a Brendan Rogers trait. We saw it when he was manager of Liverpool. We were atrocious defensively under him. Celtic were poor defensively under him. Now you could look at this the Scottish Premiership and say, oh, their defensive record is good. Look who they were playing. A bunch of teams that would struggle in the championship and League One. Rangers were awful for the first couple of seasons Brendan was there. There was no competition. When they went into Europe, they got regularly embarrassed. This is a Brendan flaw. He's just not good enough coaching a defence. But what he's always been reasonably good to very good at is setting up his midfield, getting the best out of his midfield, and getting the best out of his attack. And they haven't had the same kind of injury issues in attack. Harvey Barnes is fit most of the season. Vardy, and he's out now, but he was fit most of the season until he got hurt against us. Madison has played in every single game. Yuri Tielemans has played in almost every game. Uh, Luckman has been fit most of the season. Iheanacho has been fit for the majority of the season. Rodgers has chosen not to use him. Daka has been fit most of the season. Rodgers has chosen not to use him. And... You'd look at their record, and yeah, they've, they've conceded, I think, 37 goals, which obviously isn't good. They've scored 34, but with that level of attacking talent, for me, that's that's an underperformance. I, I just think Brendan has done a really poor job, and I I see a, a thing there in the AI scouted group from uh, WGM Lund. I'm watching all these Leicester players waving their hands at each other, and I get the feeling that they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. And that's the impression I've gotten watching Leicester a bunch this season, is that this team are not been sent out with a plan. And what we had on Sunday after their whooping at the hands of Forrest was Rodgers coming out and throwing all the players under the bus and saying that maybe some of them have achieved everything they can. I'm not being funny. Go through that squad, Carl. There's an awful lot of players who are capable of playing for far bigger clubs than Leicester. Madison, Tielemans, Barnes, Ndidi, Sumare, Pereira, Iheanacho, Daka. Like, these guys are capable of playing for any club in the land. Rodgers can't get the best of them. That's on him. It's not as much on the players for my, for my money. Yeah, um, I mean, the, he's often been depending on where you stand on the Rogers spectrum, touted as a man manager, like a good man manager rather than a tactical manager. 
because, like you say, defensively has always been an issue. And not just in terms of general week-to-week setup, but even like in-game, if they're winning by one with 10 minutes to go, you know that a Rodgers team is only going to be able to see out the win if they have the ball, rather than if they can actually set themselves up to defend and repel danger and repel a threat for the last 10-15 minutes. You just you wouldn't have confidence in them because it's not a thing that they do regularly. But the actual man management side is it. It's always to be questioned at the very least because he does, again, have quite a habit of doing this either to individual players, which you can understand depending on what's been done, obviously, in each case, uh, or just as the team as a whole. And, I mean, you look at what he said at the weekend with specific regards to the team that he put out. Uh, he made Yuri Thielmans his captain uh, for that game. He was one of the ones subbed off quite early on in the second half. And people like... I don't know, Luckman, for example, only on loan there. James Madison has just signed a new contract there. Harvey Barnes, again, just signed a contract last year there. Long-term one who was one of the ones he said he was most excited about building the team around for the next four, five, six years. I'm not really sure you can get away with with saying that and just expecting that that's going to spark your players into action unless there's like talks going on behind the scenes with them. This is what I'm not happy about. and you know, Coaching through the talking aspect as much as on the pitch, but... They've not had a reaction really for for a while now, and this isn't the first time this season he's done it. Certainly was to to that extent, I would say. But he's had a few things to say about the Leicester players or certain players at uh, a few different points this season already. Uh, I mentioned the the defeat that we had to them in the Premier League just before the turn of the year. That was a game I think Salah missed the penalty quite early on, yeah. and then they won one nil. Well, since then they have had a, a couple of games cancelled as well, but they've only won once since then, and that was against Watford in the cup. Um, Either side of that victory for them, it, it doesn't make particularly pretty reading. Uh, wins against, again, Watford in the league, Lydia Warsaw in the uh, Europa League, which was largely pointless anyway. Uh, Newcastle in the cup, sorry, in the league, again, a bottom three side. It's not really been anything good in terms of wins against top half teams, other than ourselves when we had that ridiculous day since about October when they beat Man United. Yeah, that's the thing. If you look at their wins this season, they beat Wolves on the opening day and Wolves battered them. Absolutely battered them up and down the pitch. Adam um, Adama Traore should have scored at least two. Then they lost to West Ham, got walloped. They beat Norwich 2-1 at Carroll Road, but you know most teams have beaten Norwich at Carroll Road. They lost at home to City, there's no harm in that. They lost away to Brighton again, there's no harm there. Then they played Burnley in one of the stranger games of the season. And it was a back-and-forth game. It ended up 2-2. Then they played Crystal Palace, where they went two up and collapsed in the second half. They beat United, uh, who were, you know, they were under Ollie, so, you know, beating United was par for the course. They beat Brentford, who were on a really bad run. Then they got dominated at home in the first half against Arsenal. Found some form in the second half, and... Um, Ramsdale to his credit had a great game a draw away to a bad Leeds team comfortably beaten at home by Chelsea, they beat Watford they drew at Southampton, they lost to Villa they beat Newcastle but again everybody beats Newcastle, then they got hammered by City and then they fluked a win against us and I will repeat that it was a fluke, they got absolutely trounced in that game and we were just garbage in front of goal, but they lost at home to Spurs in a game they probably should have won and, you know, they conceded two goals well into stoppage time, which is a really bad tell on the manager for me. And then the draw with Brighton. It, it's just not impressive. Like, the win over us, the win over United, and as it turns out, the win over uh, Wolves, because Wolves have turned out to be quite a good team this year. But aside from that, you're beating teams that are either in the bottom three or playing really, really badly, uh, such was the case with Brentford. It's very, very poor. It's a really bad look for Brendan. And that team he put out, there was no excuse for that team to lose. Danny Ward's a decent keeper. James Justin's excellent. Amarty's not very good, and that's fine. But Seonchu is, you know, it's the form, whatever. Luke Thomas is a very promising player. I quite like the look of him at left back. Tielemans and Ndidi's your first choice midfield. And Luckman, Madison and Barnes is the best combination you have uh, for the three behind the one. And Ian Acho's your best striker. So... They've got their best front six out there. They've got one of their best fullbacks and one of their best centre-backs. 
And the other three, other than the Marty, they, they, they're, that's a good team. There's no excuse. No excuse for that defeat. No. I'm absolutely yeah, I mean, opposed. In the cup, you can lose, right? You can lose whatever team you put out against any other team, but it's the manner of the defeat and the scoreline of the defeat. That's I think the is thing. The big thing here. It is. And even like, yeah, okay, Leicester had the possession. They did. They didn't really do a whole lot with it. And Nottingham Forest outshot them during the game. Even though they only had, what, 36, 37%, something like that. They outshot them during the game. Certainly outscored them in terms of clinical finishing and everything. But this is the theme for Leicester, not just recently, but across the entire season. I had, had a little look at them beforehand and how they match up against the rest of the Premier League. I mean, you think of Leicester under Brendan Rodgers. Generally speaking, okay, a bit shaky defensively. But good going forward, yeah? That would yeah. be a, a, a general theme. In terms of shots this season, Leicester rank 12th for taking shots. For conceding shots, 19th. That alone tells you that they're not playing European standard. Just, just in a broad strokes, with no other information to hand, they cannot possibly be so clinical that they are scoring... Uh, sorry, that they are outscoring people enough to get into the top half of the table. Not if you're conceding the 19th highest volume of shots. Now, a little bit deeper into the goals uh, conceded, they are second in the league for goals conceded off set pieces. Now, both of those things together, if you didn't know anything else about them whatsoever, just those goals conceded and the amount of shots that they uh, allow on a week-to-week basis, you have to say that this is a team who are probably conceding among the most in the league and therefore probably among the worst in terms of uh, points and victories this season. And this is not uh, a skewed thing across you know, a bad start to the season when they didn't have any defenders or anything like that. Over the last five games, I think I've opened here, five games, against Newcastle, they were outshot 8-12. Against Man City, outshot 17-14. Against Liverpool... 6-21, and that was the game that they won. Like you said, a complete fluke. Against Tottenham, yes, last-minute last goals changed the result, but shots 14-27. And against Brighton, 15-14. This is just an ongoing theme. They are, Even if they have most of the ball, which they did in, I think, three of those five games, they give up so much space. They give up so many chances, and it is repeat style opportunities as well if you get in between the centre-backs if you have runners behind the centre-backs and if you take set pieces with decent deliveries on them you create chances that's how it is against Leicester yeah exactly it is and when things go go wrong for them they they just roll over and die and it's been the case and and the big concern for them is that the history of Brendan Rodgers is that he doesn't have a particularly good track record of turning things around when they go against him. So, you know, you do have to you do have to wonder, can he turn this around? Is he a good enough manager to turn this around? And I, I don't think he is. I think the end is coming at Leicester for Brendan. I think the owners are going to look at the situation and go, hang on a second now. We, we got fifth twice in a row with these players. You, you're telling me now these players aren't good enough. We have a lot of money invested in this squad. We've got a very high wage bill with this squad and you're telling us now it's not good enough when you're the one that's largely put this squad together over the last few years. Uh, I think Brendan is coming to the end. When he starts to throw people under the bus, that's generally when it's a sign that he's in trouble. I think he might he might go in the summer. If he doesn't, I expect all the coaching staff will be changed because he'll blame it on them the same way he did at Liverpool where he blamed it on Gary McAllister. Um, not Gary McAllister, blamed it on Mike Marsh and Colin Pascoe and brought in McAllister and Sean O'Driscoll and then claimed Sean O'Driscoll was the best technical coach he'd ever met, despite the fact that you know Sean O'Driscoll wasn't a very good coach. Um, what are you expecting to see from Leicester in terms of a starting eleven in this game? I don't know that it's going to be too different to the lineup they've basically put out for the last couple of games. Uh, the, the league and the cup, there wasn't too much change in it. Obviously, you know, Schmeichel in goal for, for Danny Ward or whatever. But there's, in terms of the, the formation, has been pretty much standard across the last two, three games for them. It's not been quite as much uh, chopping and changing around. I think when Chowdhury started against Spurs, he was basically in defence, but there was you know quite a, quite an amount of overlap there between the tilting across from a, a back four to a back three anyway. Um, so I think probably sticks with the the four two three one that they've had the last couple of matches. 
So you're looking at Justin, I presume Amati again, unless he wants to go with Vestergaard, but he doesn't seem to, like you say. Uh, Soyuncu, and then I guess Thomas stays in the side at left back. Um, Tielemans and Ndidi should <laughs> should be the, the central midfield pairing, but like I said, he Tielemans was one of the ones he basically hooked off, said it was performance-related, threw him under the bus, did what uh, he did with half of the rest of them, but made a bit of a point about him because mm. it made him his captain. Uh, the thing we know about Tielemans, obviously, very experienced player, very, very good player. He's probably one of the ones in terms of professionalism, you would say, we'll just bounce back because that's what he feels his own game must do, let alone anything for the team and for, for the manager or whatever else. He's he's someone who should play and will get back to, to playing well again. So let's say Tielemans and Ndidi, Madison. I think only one of Barnes and Luckman start against us and maybe Dewsbury Hall as the sort of workhorse wide midfield filler in uh, as and where needed will be the other one. And then... In actual up top for me. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. I, I I think I think you're right about why he focused in on on Telemans because he'd made him captain. And look, Telemans came out and owned it. He he came out and apologized after the game for his own performance and for the team's performance. But I'm not sure if I was in Leicester's position, I'd be entirely happy about Brendan Rodgers throwing Yuri Telemans under the bus, given. Thielemans has 18 months left on his contract and thus far has not shown an inclination to sign an extension. And after they kept him last summer, when they could have sold him, they were getting offers for him. They're going to get less money from this year coming off a worse season with 12 months less on his contract. That's going to cost Leicester probably somewhere in the region of 15 to 20 million to have kept him for a year under the understanding, most likely from Brendan, that if we keep him, we'll get top four. And if we get top four, he'll sign a new deal. Because I would imagine if they had got top four, if they were a Champions League team, Yuri Tielemans would probably stay. You know, you're you're not going to walk into many better midfield situations anywhere than having Wilf Ndidi beside you and James Madison as your you know your number 10. You're not going to find many better situations. That is one of the better midfield groups in the Premier League, and I think across Europe. It's so well balanced. They're all mid-twenties. They've all developed really well over the last couple of years. And, you know, when you add Barnes into that mix as well, it that's something that they should be looking to really, really build on. And when you factor in Sionchu's 25, Bafana's 21, 22, Justin is 23 now, Thomas is 20, 22, Pereira's 20, excuse me, 28, Iannaccio, I think, is 26, Dak is 21, Sumari's 21. Like, that's a core group that you really should be looking at and thinking, like, we, the sky is the limit for us here. We, we, we may not win the league, but top four, given how settled we are, how good these players are, how good the manager claims he is, they're in a more stable position than Arsenal, who've got a PE teacher as a manager, and some mediocre players and, and some big gaps, like a lack of a nine, a lack of leadership a lack of a central midfield. United, lack of a proper manager, slabhead as captain, no right back worth talking about at the club, no midfield worth talking about in the, at the club, and, and no number nine worth talking about other than Cristiano, who's 37, and Spurs then, who've been through all they've been through. This, like Leicester, there's no excuse for them. I- injuries and COVID aside, look, everybody's had injuries and COVID. It wasn't an excuse we weren't allowed to use the excuse last year. Whenever we talked about injuries last year, we were told to shut up and get on with it. We had worse injuries last year than they've had this year. And we were told to shut up and get on with it. We got top four with Nat Phillips and Reese Williams at centre-back. There is no excuse for them to be 10th. None at all. I don't want to hear about their injuries. Surely to God, a manager who rates himself as highly as Brendan Rodgers rates himself so highly that he was telling journalists only a few months ago that he was high on the shortlist to replace Guardiola at City. If he can't get a team together to finish higher than 10th in this division, considering how poor some of the teams above him have been, there's no there's no saving them. There's no saving him there. I I think it's I think he's a dead man walking, I have to say. And I love it. Yeah. 
I what, what do you think? What do you think he's got to do between now and the end of the season to whatever you think it is, get a new deal, keep a keep his job, not be fired before the season ends? I think he's got to settle in on on an eleven. Now, obviously, Fafana will change things, but for now, he's he's got to go with whatever that that front six that played that's absolutely fine, and then you have some decent squad depth behind them in in Sumare. I think Vardy off the bench is best from now on. Daka, great option off the bench and potentially a long-term starter. Eozzi Perez, he's not a great player, but he's certainly a decent enough backup. That as a front unit, that's fine. That's 10 players you can trust, and you roll with that. You keep the same six, you rotate in the other ones, you give them their minutes, that's fine. But you've got to sort that defence out. There's just no excuse anymore. There really isn't. Like, we're a decade into Brendan Rodgers as a Premier League manager. Now, I know he had a few years in Scotland, but we're a decade into this and he still hasn't figured out how to coach a defence. His idea of sorting out his defence is to throw an extra body in there. And what that does is it stymies his attack. So I I don't know is the honest answer. I I think he needs to honestly come out and say, look, I've, I've done a poor job here this season. You'd have so much more respect for him. If he just came out and said, I've done a really poor job. Like last season, Jurgen Klopp came out and said it. I haven't done well this season. And Jurgen Klopp's one of the three or four best managers in the world. And he came out and said that. He could have come out and blamed the players and everybody would have gone, yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, because it's Klopp. It's it's the players. That's fine. Um, But Rodgers is not in that position. He has to come out and own this. He has to be a big enough man. He always talks about improving players as men. He talks about character. He needs to show some real character and some honesty here and come out and say he hasn't done a good enough job, whether it's in terms of recruitment with, you know, signing garbage like Vestergaard or, you know, average players like Castanier for a combined 35 million. That's a terrible waste of money at a club like Leicester. Or, you know, whether it's a tactics thing, whether he just needs to bring in somebody that can help him on the defensive side. That's the one thing that always gets me with Rodgers is how arrogant he is about this this sort of thing. You remember when he was Liverpool manager and a lot of people, including myself, were quite loudly calling for him to add someone to his coaching staff that could really work on the defensive side of the of, of the game. And, and a lot of... Co- <laughs> and he did the press conference after one game where we kept a clean sheet and he came out and really arrogantly went... Oh, it's the new defensive coach we brought in. And then we shipped four against Arsenal in the next game. Like, yes, shut your mouth, Brendan. <laughs> shut your um, mouth, Brendan. The, one other thing that I would say is a, a marker. It shouldn't be, but it is. And like you say, we're a decade in now since he joined Liverpool and began what is effectively a top-flight career. A decade of managing teams, maybe the odd season not, but basically a decade of managing teams in Europe he has still not won a two-legged knockout tie in any mm. European competition with any team. That is, like, astonishing for me. Now, they play Randers in the UEFA Europa <laughs> Conference, <laughs> Victoria's Digestive Biscuits Conference, Vanarama League, or whatever the hell it's called. You have to win that. First and foremost, this is a, <laughs> a Danish Super League side who... How can I put this? Ah, crap... I think that's the, um, the, the best way to put it. They finished fifth, or they are fifth, or whatever it was. They are currently in, uh, fifth in, in the yeah. Danish Super League. It's, yeah. it's halfway, halfway through the season, they're still in their winter break. So basically, by the time they start back up, they will just about be ready to restart their, their league campaign as such. So, mm. I mean, there's no excuse. Leicester have to win that. That will be his first ever two-legged win in a knockout round. That's astonishing to me. For for someone who's been in charge of teams like Liverpool, like Celtic even. I mean, all right, they're not a, a European superpower, but a knockout round surely has to be done. That, that's that's dismal. It's really, really poor. So well, that has to be ended in the record. It, it speaks volumes that, you know, Celtic, yeah, again, they're not a European superpower. Yeah, they had some difficult draws, but, you know, under Neil Lennon, under Martin O'Neill, Managers who <clears throat> Brendan, I'm sure, sees himself as above. They uh, they did damage in Europe. You know, they went to the new camp. They gave Barca all manner of trouble. They beat them in one game. 
And uh, yet for Brendan, it was 7-0 defeats and all sorts of things. And I went through this one day, and I'm trying to find this. I went through this one day on the two-footed pod, his European record, um, because I was denouncing him as a fraud, because that's the type of thing that I do for anyone that wants to listen to for the pod. Most days at 4 p.m. today's is going to be late. But if you go through his European record, it is abysmal. Here it is here. So at Liverpool, he played 22 games in Europe and won nine of them. With Celtic, he played 18 games. That doesn't look right. I can't find it here. Hang on. His overall European record. Here it is. His overall European record. Played 74, won 29. Conceded 99. And score, sorry, scored 99 and conceded 98. But when you take out knockout qualifiers, so just groups and knockout games, he's played 50, won only 16, drawn 11, lost 23, scored 52, and conceded 81. And it's not like he's always had really difficult group stage games. No. You know, his his Look European the, record, for example, absolute. Like even the season with us, like Ludogorets and and Basel, mm. and I, I know we had Real Madrid, and that was kind of the highlight of the group. But there was no excuse for us not to finish second, none whatsoever. And yet we couldn't manage that. We finished third in that piss week group, and then we went into the um, into the Europa League. And found ourselves getting knocked out by Besiktas on penalties. Dejan Lovren, shout out to him. Wonderful penalty. Um, but there's just no excuse for how bad Brendan has been in Europe. It's really, really poor. And if he's not going to be the type of manager who can win a league, and I don't think he can win a league if you're that bad defensively, then he's got to be a manager who can do well in Europe. Because if he wants to work at big, big clubs, that's what it takes. Either being great in Europe or being great in the domestic league and winning it. He can't do either. Uh, so for me, I, I think he's a busted flush. I, there was a lot of talk that he could get you know, a big job. I'm not sure what big club gives him a job unless he goes abroad. That might be his only option is to go abroad, try and either get a big job overseas or you know, rehabilitate his reputation with a Valencia or somebody of that that level, and then come back and maybe you get the Arsenal job. Maybe United are foolish enough to call on you. But he's not going to get the Liverpool job, obviously, ever again. He won't get the City job. He's not liked at Chelsea. And he's not very well liked by Daniel Levy, so I don't think he's going to get the Spurs job either. No, I mean, it's, you don't follow up Antonio Conte with him anyway. And if Conte's putting them on the upwards path now and especially if they do go on and get the top four, then you have to wonder what that says. I mean, he's had, well, he'll have had five, six months by then to turn them around and probably managed to do something in that period of time that Rogers couldn't quite do across the, the two seasons where Leicester did really have the, charge, uh, the, the chance to do so. I know, obviously, that there's financial differences there and everything else, but it still uh, speaks volumes if you see how Conte has firstly made them better defensively, how Tuchel firstly made Chelsea better defensively. It's uh, no lads it, it, at, it at Wolves, Graham Potter at Brighton. Yeah, like these yeah, guys yeah. Are, are in the door, make them better defensively, and then let's build from there. And for me, that's what that's what Brendan should be looking to do. I mean, there has to be good coaches out there that he could bring in that could help him defensively. There has to be, you know. And he just he's too arrogant to do it. I I think he'll go in the summer, and I actually think Graham Potter will get that job. Um. And I think if you gave Graham, Pat- Graham Potter that squad, he would do really good things. Really, really good things. Because the talent is unquestionably there. And there's goal scorers. And what Graham Potter needs more than anything <laughs> is a goal scorer. Um, what do you expect then from the Liverpool eleven on on the weekend? Mm. I don't think there'll be loads of changes from the cup game, to be fair. Uh, I'll obviously expect Alisson and Fabinho to come back in for sh- for sure. 
uh, Trent to stay in, Van Dijk to stay in, Robbo in for Simicast. Centre back alongside Van Dijk. I guess Matip to come back in now. Uh, Kanati obviously started in the cup. Matip was an unused sub, so I presume that's going to be Matip coming back in to be to be the first choice partner. But there has been an element of chop and change there between the two. Uh, I think both sides of midfield are the most difficult ones to call now. There have been a few people obviously immediately calling for Harvey Elliott to come straight back into the team. Fine in terms of technical ability and all the rest of it, but you got to see how he reacts with the first proper run out back after injury and all the rest of it. So uh, I would like to see Curtis Jones start again. I'll be honest, I don't think he had his, his most impactful game against Cardiff uh, because it was very, very slow in the first half and all the rest of it. But I don't think he's necessarily done anything wrong either. Now, that alone, I don't think is enough to nail down a first choice uh, midfield role for Liverpool. But I would like to see him stay there in the side on that left side until Thiago is ready to come back in and start. Now, judging by what Diao has done previously when he's come back from injury, we could expect to see against Leicester, for example, he gets 25 minutes off the bench, something mm. like that. And then maybe against Burnley, another 25, half an hour, and then he starts against Inter. Something like that. That's yeah, that I, th- I think you're right. I think he's I think he's going to try and save Thiago as much as he can for those Champions League games. Because I think Jurgen is clever enough to know that catching City is unlikely Winning the Champions League, I think we've got an equal chance to everybody. I don't, I don't think you could look at anyone and say definitively we couldn't beat them over two legs. I think everybody okay. we'd look at and think we can beat them over two legs. And I think he'll want Thiago for those games. I I wonder if he might give Naby the left-sided role for this one and play Henderson. I think Henderson will start on the right. Uh, Faba's the six. I, I wonder if he might give Naby a go on the left where he's more comfortable and try and get it into a rhythm where it's Naby or Thiago in the left-sided role and then Henderson or Elliot in the right-sided role and Curtis sort of just becomes a depth piece who maybe falls a little bit out of the rotation uh, over the rest of the season. I, I can see Curtis being one who goes on loan next year just for the desire for minutes and for his development. But I do sort of think maybe if he's now, if he, he may well decide that it's, it's Curtis and Thiago for the left sided role. And if he does, that's absolutely fine. But in that case, Naby Keita needs to get onto his agent and say, look, I got to go in the summer, no contract, nothing. I'm going in the summer. Whatever, find me a move. I, I have to get out of here because if I'm third choice on both sides, what's the point? Yeah, that would be a disappointment, to be fair. But I agree, Henderson's going to start right side for this. And up front, I think it's the tricky one. I think it, a lot is going to depend on what the what the fitness tests show once the two are back now, or as they are back today in um, at Kirby. Salah, obviously. I don't, think Sad- I don't think Sadio's back, is he? No, no, no. Sadio had the, the bus top parade, but Salah's back today. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. You know, he's just played four extra time games in... 12 days or whatever it was so while yes I could see him come back in and start straight away against Leicester I don't want him to start all of the games straight away and we risk anything happening if you look at the upcoming run that Liverpool have got you obviously want him in for Inter Milan as well and that means that at least one of the Burnley and Leicester games he's got to not start so if it is only going to be one given the choice I would make it don't start against Burnley just because of what he'll be up against Start mm. against Leicester and maybe we take him off after an hour or something like that if we manage to get ourselves a, a goal or two ahead. Yeah, I agree. I think we could see Salah from the right, Bobby through the middle and Jota off the left with Diaz then coming on at you know 60 potentially for Mo and maybe Jota pulls across to the right-hand side. Um, and then maybe against Burnley, maybe Sadio starts against Burnley on the right-hand side with Bobby and Jota and you give Salah that one to just kind of rest. But what I will say is, I think Mo's pissed off. I think Mo's coming back with a big, big chip on his shoulder because that's a devastating manner to lose any trophy, but especially one that means that much to you for your country. And he's also taken some criticism in the British press over the last few days, most of it absolute garbage, like, oh, why is he on the fifth penalty? Well, probably because his manager told him to be. But 
that's not a Salah thing. Most times, a manager will put his best penalty taker on that fifth one, whether it's good practice or not. They will do it, or maybe not even their best, but the one they know can handle the pressure. Think back to Istanbul, who was on the fifth penalty for us. It was Steven Gerrard, because Rafa knew he had the big enough cojones to take that penalty. Carlos Kiers knew Mo had the the stuff to take that penalty. In the same way Senegal had Mane on the fifth. Yeah, yeah I, I don't understand that argument at all when it was literally the case for the other team. Yes, yeah. okay, Salah didn't get to take his, but Mane but did. That, it was the point on both. If Salah had taken the first one, that doesn't stop the other two boys from missing their penalties. No. It just means that he scored and Egypt lost, lost in a different configuration of the penalties. So this idea that it would have altered things to have Mo go first doesn't make any sense. Players are going to score or they're going to miss. The order that they've taken doesn't really affect it unless it's that fifth one. No, and let's be clear. He wasn't taking it because he's Egypt's best penalty taker. He was taking it because he was their biggest, uh, most capable of shouldering the pressure penalty. Mm. That's why he was in the pressure penalty because Egypt's best penalty taker is Zizo, who went earlier. And he does not miss. He does not miss the exact square centimetre of the net that he aims for. That's the thing. That's what got me. And you also have some idiots saying, we didn't really have an impact in the tournament. Egypt scored four goals. <laughs> Salah scored two and made the other one. He carried them to the final. Like, he was brilliant in multiple knockout games. It's not down to him that Egypt play that style of football. It's down to the other players not being very good and the manager thinking our best plan of attack is the Portugal 2016, Greece 2004, let's bore our way through, hope to nick a goal, and if not, we'll get to penalties and you know we think we have the strongest mindset and we'll get through. It's on the coach, not on Salah. Salah doesn't want to be playing... Stuck out on the right wing with 60-yard balls raining down on top of his head. That's not what gets the best of him. But maybe it's what gets the best of the team. Uh, it's it's bizarre, but I think he'll come back with a point to prove. And I think he's going to, to go on a tear once he Hope gets so. back. Yeah. I hope so. Um, right, prediction for this one. Um, I'm going to be conservative. It is at Anfield. I expect one or two Leicester players will at least have a reaction to start the game. I don't think that that's going to last all the way through. And obviously, like we said, Liverpool have had that one game now where they can get a little bit into their stride. So I expect them to to start a bit quicker. So I will be conservative and I will only go for (laughs) 7-0. Oh... I would love it. I would love us to absolutely taunt them and for him to get the sack. It would make me it would make me smile for days if we were the reason that he got sacked. Yeah, I'd love it. It would uh, put an end to next... any nonsense about, you know, him going to a big club again. Liverpool's next three Premier League games uh at home are against Leicester, Norwich and Leeds. I think we are gonna score a combined at the very least fifteen against those three. Yeah, yeah, I think so as well. I, like, I, I do think a couple of teams are going to get real tonkings over the second half of the season when we have everybody back. Because there's going to be a game where Klopp rolls out Harvey, Fab and Thiago in midfield and they just tear somebody apart. And that front three, regardless of which combination it is from the five top-end fours we now have, um, it, they're going to just annihilate somebody. And Trent is put, putting together a career year. Uh, Robbo has looked tremendous after a, you know an iffy first half of the season. Everything else, the, the, the defensive diamond of, of Ali, the two centre-backs, Virgil and whoever, and Fab, they're, they're just the best in the league. If everything clicks for us on one afternoon, someone is going to get... An unmerciful hide, an unmerciful hiding, and it is. It's going to be beautiful to see, and it would be just so sweet if it was Leicester. It really would. Let me just quickly check: Do Leicester have many injuries ahead of this game? So we'll know what kind of excuses to prepare ourselves uh, from with Brendan. So Johnny Evans is out, Castanier is out, Vardy is out, Fafana is out, Napoli's Mendy should be back, and Ryan Bertrand is out. 
so that's that's all good for us. All good for us. Um, we're only really likely to be missing Sadio, and that might be it because Divock's back training. Ox and Joe, I believe, are due back in training today or tomorrow after a little bit with COVID. We may have everybody bar, bar Sadio available, in which case it will be the first time in God knows how long that our entire squad is fit. And if that's the case, all well, the best of luck to everybody. Uh, it's, everybody's in trouble over the second half of the season. Everybody's in trouble. Um. Right, we will leave it there, so sir, and thank you very much for your time today. Do you have anything coming out that you want people to know about? Uh, what's today? Tuesday, so tonight there's Newcastle against Everton. I have a, a bit of a preview of that and looking at how the two teams, the two clubs really, are, are kind of a bit the samey at the moment in terms of uh, real shambles off the pitch for quite a while and trying to give themselves a bit of a new identity and the January work that they did and new managers and all the rest of it. So if you are listening before that game takes place, then that's particularly relevant. Uh, that's on the independent. I will retweet that from Twitter as well now. And if you're listening on Wednesday or Thursday, then I guess you can still read it, but you already know what the score is. Yes. Check out that. Read Carl's work on the independent. And this is Anfield, the independent for the big J journalism. This is Anfield just for the crack. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Carl Matchett. Plague him with your questions. Plague him for inside information. He doesn't like to share it, but I know he has some. I know he has some. He just won't share it with us all. And um, yeah, follow Guy Drinkle at Guy Drinkle. Follow me at EPL Index. And two for the pod every day, normally at 4 p.m. Today it will be 6 p.m. And there will be a daily red as well uh, shortly, but not at lunchtime today. Uh, that's it. That's us. Take care. Bye bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.